If you would, would you please stand with me as we read our text this morning? We start off by uh, reciting a prayer that commits ourselves uh, back to God before we, go to the pr- uh, before we go to the text in the form of a prayer called the Shema to Deuteronomy 6. Say it with me. Hear, O Israel, Hear, o Israel. The, Lord is the Lord is our God. The Lord alone. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. Amen. We're in Genesis 40 today. And we'll touch a little bit in 41 as well, starting in verse 9. But Genesis 40 to start. Sometime later, the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt offended their master, the king of Egypt. Pharaoh was angry with his two officials, the chief cupbearer and the chief baker, and put them in custody in the house of the captain of the guard, in the same prison where Joseph was confined. The captain of the guard assigned them to Joseph, and he attended them. After they had been in custody for some time, each of the two men, the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt, were being held in prison, had a dream the same night, and each dream had a meaning of its own. When Joseph came to them the next morning, he saw that they were dejected. So he asked Pharaoh's officials who were in custody with him in the master's house, why do you look so sad today? We both had dreams, they answered, but there was no one to interpret them. So Joseph said to them, do not interpretations belong to God? Tell me your dreams. So the chief cupbearer told Joseph his dream. He said to him, In my dream, I saw a vine in front of me, and on the vine were three branches. As soon as it budded, it blossomed, and its clusters ripened into grapes. Pharaoh's cup was in my hand, and I took the grapes, squeezed them into Pharaoh's cup, and put the cup in his hand. This is what it means, Joseph said to him. The three branches are the three days. Within three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to your position. And you will put Pharaoh's cup in his hand, just as you used to do when you were his cupbearer. But when all goes well for you, remember me and show me kindness. Mention me to Pharaoh and get me out of this pit. I was forcibly carried off from the land of the Hebrews. And even here, I have done nothing to deserve being put in a pit. Then the chief baker saw that Joseph had given a favorable interpretation. He said to Joseph, I too have had a dream. On my head were three baskets of bread. In the top basket were all kinds of baked goods for Pharaoh, but the birds were eating them out of my basket on my head. This is what it means, Joseph said. The three baskets are three days. Within three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head and impale your body on a pole, and the birds will eat away your flesh. Now the third day was Pharaoh's birthday, and he gave a feast for all his officials. He lifted up the heads of the chief cupbearer and the chief baker in the presence of his officials. He restored the chief cupbearer to his position so that he once again put the cup into Pharaoh's hand. But he impaled the chief baker, just as Joseph had said to them in his interpretation. The chief cupbearer, however, did not remember Joseph. He forgot him. And then starting in verse 9 and 41 to complete the story. When two full years had passed, the chief cupbearer said to Pharaoh, "'Today I am reminded of my shortcomings.' Pharaoh was once angry with his servants, and he imprisoned me and the chief baker in the house of the captain of the guard. Each of us had a dream the same night, and each dream had a meaning of its own. Now a young Hebrew was there with us, a servant of the captain of the guard. We told him our dreams, and he interpreted them to to us, giving each man the interpretation of his dream, and things turned out exactly as he interpreted them to us. I was restored to my position, and the other man was impaled." So Pharaoh sent for Joseph, and he quickly brought from the pit. 
He had him shaved and changed his clothes. He came to Pharaoh. Pharaoh said to Joseph, I have dreamed a dream and no one can interpret it. But I have heard it said that you, when you hear a dream, can interpret it. I cannot do it, Joseph replied to Pharaoh, but God will give Pharaoh the answer he desires. You may be seated. What, what ladders have you had to climb in your life? What places, maybe it was a work, a work situation or a social circle where when you came in, you clearly could tell you were on the bottom rung and had to work your way up. We go through these in life, right? We go through these situations as we start off at the bottom and you work your way up. If you're in school, you understand this. You go to a new school and you are the freshman, right? And then you work your way up. Now you're a sophomore and now you're a junior and finally you get to be senior. We get that as kids. Even my own daughter, Mia, she understands that. Even just last night, we were getting ready for bed and my son uh, still needs a little help. He has like a pull-up for, um, for nighttime just as he's getting used to potty training. And she looked at it and she goes, that's a diaper, she looked at him with such disdain. She's like, that's what babies wear, right? Even at six years old, she understands the ladder. She gets it, that you're kind of below me and I've worked my way up a little bit. Young adults, you understand this every Thanksgiving when you wonder if you're going to be seated at the kids' table, right? Did, how many of you still, uh, young adults, how many of you still sit at the kids' table at Thanksgiving? You haven't quite, yes, thank you. You haven't quite made it yet to the adult table yet. So you're with your like six-year-old, eight-year-old cousins and you see the adults and you know you haven't quite made it uh, to the top level yet. Molly and I, when we were first married, we understood in our family, we, we had a harsh reality. We got married. We thought we had made it yet. And so uh, my family and I, we went on a, a, an extended, it was like an extended family. It was my cousins and everything. We went uh, uh, on a trip. Uh, we went to the Adirondacks and stayed at this kind of this big uh, house. And because we had no kids yet, we were newly married, we said, we're going to get there first and we're going to stake out our room, right? We're going to get there earlier than everyone and make sure like we've got uh, the, the, the best room or at least a room that's, that's good enough for us. So we, of course, we get there early, we start walking around the house and we realize, wait a minute, there are six family units and there are only five bedrooms, and our wheels started to turn. We're like, this, this isn't good. We were promised a room, and I don't think so. And so we, we kind of put our stuff near a room. Like, we're like, we kind of want this one. But, and so we waited. And one by one, the, uh, the rest of the family came. And first, my grandparents came. And of course, the grandparents get the room, right? They're on the top rung. You, you ab absolutely, you get the room. So that was easy. Yes, you, you go in, you go, you get your rooms. And then another cousin came with their family. And it's like, all right, well, you've got three kids. Yeah, you, I think you, you probably should get a room too. Okay, you get a room. And then another cousin came and she was pregnant. And I was like, all right, you're pregnant. Yes, that makes sense. You, you ought to get a room. And slowly we began to realize the rooms were running out. And we could do the math. And we started to go, I don't think we're going to get a room. And sure enough, the last person came and they said, ah, you know, we really could use a room and you're right. And we got, uh, the, we just kept getting down the rungs, down, downtown, until eventually we ended up with my brother and his girlfriend in a common area in bunk beds. <laughs> Happy vacation to us, you're right? We're like, oh, we're, we're the newly, we're, we're married now, we're so mature, but now we're spending our vacation in bunk beds with my brother and his girlfriend. 
you know where you stand on the pecking order when things like this happen, right? And we've all had these experiences where you know where you stand on the pecking order. When we look at the story of Joseph, I think this is a, uh, a kind of a, a, a season of Joseph's life where he understands where he is in the pecking order. And we're going to find that this journey he goes on, and really the journey we all go through on as we r- rise the ladder, whatever ladder you might be on, whether it's at work or it's, like I said, a social circle or in your family or whatever, whatever uh, ladder you're climbing, there's a journey of going through it. And it's really that journey that gives you the experience and the wisdom to be able to handle things when you get to the top rung, right? There's actually, there's actually kind of a spiritual element to uh, the journey and to the ladder in which as you kind of work your way up, you gain that knowledge, you gain that wisdom, you gain that experience that will aid you and prepare you and get you ready for when you get to the top rungs. And we're going to look at that in this Joseph story because I think this is a place where Joseph is, is realizing and is working through this, this journey in this process. He's interpreting dreams and he's, he's talking with officials and God is preparing him and getting him ready for what he ultimately has for him later on. Joseph is climbing a ladder and he's at the bottom. And Potiphar has him in a pit. Now we'll talk about that word in a minute. But we'll discover that God uses Joseph's ladder to mold him for more responsibility later. And like I said, I think there's a spiritual element to this because we see a lot of characters in the Bible go through this. We see a lot of characters who don't start up. God typically doesn't come to someone and just say, boom, do it today. Typically, God is preparing someone for a long time before God raises them up to the the ultimate thing he has for them. Noah was over, over 500 years old before he built the ark. Moses lived in the wilderness for 40 years. David is 30 before he's crowned king after a season of running from his life from Saul. There seems to be a spiritual element to this in which God has you in a certain place and then walks you through that with him. He has you climb that ladder and he climbs it with you to get you to the point where you're ready for what God has for you later on. Now, if you remember, Joseph is the son of promise. The firstborn, the true firstborn, the wearer of the family robe, the one the grain sheaves and the stars and the sun and the moon all bow down to. And he's in a pit. He's in a pit. Now, your Bible might read dungeon or might say prison, but the word here in the Hebrew is the word bore. And it's the same word used to describe the place his brothers threw him in 11 years later, in a pit. So it might say prisoner, it might say, but the the Bible's trying to do something. It's trying to show you something, that the same place, the same word, this bore, that that, that the brothers pushed Joseph into 11 years earlier is now the same type of place he's in now. We're supposed to see that connection. He's back in the pit. God has Joseph in the pit before he has him in the palace. And that's your first full in, because I think this is, again, this is something we need to grasp, that God has Joseph in the pit 
before he has him in the palace. Joseph's destiny is Pharaoh, but for now he's with bakers and cupbearers. All along the way, God knows that Joseph is headed towards Pharaoh, even if Joseph doesn't know it. But for now, he's with cupbearers and bakers. God will often have us climb ladders to mold us into the type of people ready for more responsibility later. The work that we do all along the way prepares us for what God is going to do. It's actually the experience of the journey that gets you to the place ready for more responsibility, ready uh, in wisdom and experience and learning and maturation to get you to the place ready to do that. Now, in this narrative, Joseph is interpreting uh, dreams of some more or less random people, right? We're given no names. We don't know what they did to deserve prison. We don't know anything about them. And that's the point. We don't need to know. The sages say this, that, that, that the, the identity of these men, if we needed to know them or wanted to know, because that's one of the questions I ask is, what do these guys do? What, what, what made Pharaoh so mad that he threw these guys in prison and eventually impaled the baker? And as, I, as we look, and as, as many people have studied this over the years, they basically says there is no indication that, given at all as to why, and that's the point. The point is that they're, they're just officials. The point is how Joseph interacts with them and what Joseph is doing with them, not the people or the situation themselves. Even though that drives me crazy as, a, as someone who likes stories. I want to know the backstory to these guys. Like, what's going on here? Why does the baker, why, why does the cupbearer get put back and the baker gets killed? What, what's, the, what's the story? I've searched, people have searched, no one knows. But that's not the point. The point for us is to see that Joseph is in the pit now, and he's getting ready for the palace. He's getting ready for the palace. We're supposed to see the development in him, the gift that God has given him, which will aid him when he gets to Pharaoh. In fact, notice the similarities between the dreams uh, that he's interpreting in this chapter, in chapter 40, and Pharaoh's dreams one chapter later. We, have, we didn't read about Pharaoh's chapters because uh, Pastor Mario will be uh, looking at that in, in more detail next week. But just for a minute, let's look at some of the similarities between what Joseph is doing in the pit and what Joseph is going to do in the palace. In both, Joseph interprets two dreams each. The dreams all represent time frames. The three branches and baskets are days, three days, and the seven cows and the grains of Pharaoh's dream are the seven years. The cupbearer's dream is about fat, plump grapes. Pharaoh's dream is about fat, plump cows, and both are consumed. The baker's dream and Pharaoh's second dream are both about grain, and both get eaten. It's like there's this similarity. It's like when Joseph gets to, to Pharaoh and starts hearing Pharaoh's dream, Joseph is going to go, wait a minute, I've heard this, I've heard this before. I've been in this situation before. I've experienced this before. God has blessed me and, and has shown me what's going on. I'm growing and I'm learning and I'm maturing to the point that now that I hear this dream, oh yeah, I can recall the experiences I had in my past to be able to know what to do here. We're supposed to see these two dreams and see the similarities before them. Joseph is supposed to see these two dreams and see the similarities to them and say, I, I've done this before. I've done this before. 
I don't know about you, but I, when I'm going to a new place, I like to like go on Google Maps and like just study it. I get this from my father. My father, before the internet and the, the, all that, you know, all that, uh, the Google Maps and Google Images and all that stuff, he would have just, the, I remember he'd sit in on his chair with his big map atlas. Did anyone else's dad do this? It's big and just study the maps, right? I have this like image of my dad just sitting in his chair. We'd be going on a trip or a vacation or something, and he'd just sit there and he'd study his maps. As a kid, I always wondered, how does my dad know how to get places? Do you ever wonder that the kids, like, we all get in the car, and my dad just gets behind the wheel, and like four hours later, we're there. And I have no idea how he got, like, how did you know to go all of these different places? But he studied, he liked to be prepared, he, he liked it, so that when he got into that position, he knew what to do. Right? This is like Joseph studying the map. This is Joseph getting used to familiarizing himself with an area, with a, with a, with a place. God is training him up so that he will be ready when the time comes for Pharaoh. It's almost like God has Joseph in training mode. Has anyone uh, seen the Rocky movies or like the Rocky movies? I, I love the Rocky movies. I just, I, I think they're really cool, right? And my favorite part of the Rocky movies, the, the boxing movies, is the training montages, right? Right in the middle, right? He's like down on his luck and then he gets inspired and then all of a sudden, right? He starts like running, right? And he's like running on the roads of Philadelphia and he's high-fiving little kids and he's like punching the air and then he gets to like the big meat factory, right? Why is he punching giant slabs of meat? I don't know, but it's super cool, right? He's like bang, bang, right? He's like hitting all the meat, right? And he's running around and he goes, we, we went to school in Philadelphia, so we experienced all the like the rocky steps and the place, right? And he, he finishes off by going up the steps of the art museum and, you know, he's like, ah, right? And he's like so excited. But by and large, those are all, I mean, we, as movie watchers, they're iconic images, but in the movie itself, they're not glamorous, right? There's nobody around. There's nobody watching. He's running the streets of Philadelphia. In fact, in Ro now this is where I'm going to get nerdy. Like in Rocky IV, now if you remember Rocky IV, I know, just... In Rocky IV, right, he's, he's, he goes to, like, Russia, right? And he's fighting the Russian, right? And the Russian has all of this awesome equipment, like all the awesome new technology, which when we're watching it now, like, laugh at it, right? It's like 80s, like, like computers, and they're, like, giant and stuff like that. But back then, like, this, like, and he's, like, carrying rocks and running up mountains, and, that, you know, that's it. That's sort of this image I have of Joseph. There's no glamour in the pit. There's no one watching in the pit. He doesn't have a lot of Twitter followers in the pit. But he's training. I'd, 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 I'd put the, if, I, if there was like a movie of, and no one is going to put this scene in a Joseph movie, because, right, it's like there's no, there's no glamour to it. But this would be like my training montage. I'd put the Rocky music over, over this. He's like interpreting dreams, right? He's like, do, 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 right? But God has him in the pit before he has him in the palace. And it's not glamorous. And not many people watch. But he's building his spiritual capacity. He's building his leadership. He's building his gifts and developing his gifts. God is having him there to get to the palace. I'm always a little leery of pastors who rise to prominence a little too early 
and miss the years of healthy spiritual ladder climbing. Someone I really respect is a pastor and author named Tim Keller, who planted a church in New York City and has authored dozens of books. You've probably heard of him. Now, what most people don't realize, though, that his first main book, the, the book that really shot him into prominence, was a book called Reason for God, which was published in 2008, when he was 58 years old. 58 years old. I love that he spent a career on the ladder, loving people, serving faithfully, and when the time was ready, he actually had something to say. He actually had something to say. I'll read a Tim Keller book all day because I value the years and experiences he's put through so that now, in his later years, now as he's in, in his career, as he's starting to train up the next generation, he's got a treasure trove of wisdom to share. Oftentimes, God's have us in the pit before he has us in the palace. If you're a, a young, young adult here in the room, if you're somebody that senses that uh, there's, a, there's a, a shift happening in your life, if, if you sense that you're stuck, maybe, Maybe you sense you're in a pit. And we, we use the word pit, but sometimes that's a negative connotation because it's not like Joseph was in shackles, right, in the pit. He was actually put in charge of things in this situation. He, was the, he had found favor with the warden. The warden had actually put him in charge of people. So this isn't like, when we say the pit, that doesn't necessarily mean you're, you've hit rock bottom and you're in chains and nothing is going well for you. No, Joseph is actually exercising some leadership within this pit. He's exercising, God is showing him favor. He's using his gifts, he's developing them. It's just not prominent. And it's unnoticeable. And if you're someone here and, and you're sensing like uh, maybe that God is calling uh, you to something or you feel like God's saying there's a new chapter in your life, if you're a young person in our congregation and you're just starting out and you're trying to figure out what it is that God has for us, one thing I'm really excited about this next year is a kickoff program we're doing called The Call. And Milo talked about this, Pastor Milo talked about this at the annual meeting, that we'd love to develop sort of a leadership uh, program, a leadership institute, if you will, here at Randall that helps people really understand the call of God on their lives, help develop that, help to use that in tangible ways here in the church before they begin uh, using it, or as they continue using it here in our church or wherever God has for them. And we're going to, it's a, it's a one-year program. It's a nine, really a nine-month program starting in the fall that has classroom elements to it, that has some self-evaluation and some, some of those self-tests and, 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 and mentoring parts of it. Uh, we will go on a retreat at the end of the year. I'm really excited to lead this. And we already have um, many people who've already uh, said yes to this. If, if you'd be interested in something like that, if, if you sense that God has something for you, if you feel like you're in, a, you're in the pit and you want to begin developing what that looks like for you. Please come talk to me. Please write that on a connection card. Put that in the offering plate on the way out. We would love, I'd love to have a conversation with you about that. That's one of my things that I love to do is to help people find their place and help people really discover what God has for them. Because I believe in this concept, this latter concept, that God will have you in a pit before he'll have you in the palace. And what does it look like to develop these gifts, these spiritual gifts, and this calling, and this heart, and these experiences that you have in order to really identify what God has for you in his church, his, his capital C church? So please, if you're interested in that, I'd love to talk to you more about what that looks like here at Randall Church. 
Now, we'll talk more about what this looks like in a little bit. Not just the call, but just in general, what we can do uh, from our standpoint in terms of ladder. But I want to look at one more aspect of Joseph's life that God is using. I want to look at one more aspect here in the story. Not just the ladders of Joseph's life, but also his laundry. Or really, we should say, his dirty laundry. Now, this morning I woke up, and I got ready, and I brought something with me. This is literally my dirty laundry. I pulled this from my room today. There it is. Now, as I look at my dirty laundry, it actually reminds me of my week, what I did. Like, oh yeah, on that day I did this. But, now don't, yeah, don't look too close. I don't want any of you coming up here and looking at this after the service, right? This is personal business right here. In fact, I was like looking for a place to hide it this morning so uh, none of the band would like, hey, what's this? Oh, start poking around here, right? We understand that our dirty laundry is something that we just kind of keep to ourselves and only a few, you know, the few can do. I remember when we, Molly and I first got married and we started doing laundry and it was like, oh my, laundry, you know, like, okay, we're, here we go. This is, this is us, right? Our laundry, we understand our laundry is very personal. We don't want people looking in. We don't want people snooping around. We don't want people asking questions. This is something very sacred to us. This is why if you're at a laundromat and someone takes your laundry out, right, because they want to use it, it's like, that's like a capital offense. Like, we do not, that's not cool, right? We all have dirty laundry. And now I'm going to put this away so that no one else sees it. But we all have dirty laundry. We all have private and personal things, hurts, secrets, insecurities, embarrassments, wounds, trauma, whether they're your fault or not. We all have things we don't want people looking into. And when we look at the Joseph stories, we find that Joseph has a ton of dirty laundry. And what we'll find, and here's your next phone, is that Joseph's hurts will be others' healing. Joseph's hurts will be other people's healing. Let's remember Joseph's story for a minute. We're going to go back a few chapters and remember this dirty laundry that Joseph has. You can uh, follow along in your fill-out. I'll have it here up on the screen. But let's remember the story here for a second. In Joseph's story, first he has this dream, or he has actually a couple dreams, if you'll remember. And these dreams are self-evident. These dreams are self-evident. You know exactly what they are, right? His brothers uh, know, his father knows. This is the, the dream about the sheaths bowing down, the, one, the 11 sheaths bowing down to Joseph, the one brother. This is the sun and the stars bowing down to Joseph. And so th there's this dream that no one needs an interpretation for. The brothers know it immediately. The, the father knows it immediately. And so there's this, there's this start, this self-evident dream that really kicks off this bad blood uh, between the brothers. Secondly, his father actually then rebukes him for the dreams. There isn't a lot of fatherly love in this. He says, what are you doing, Joseph? Clearly you're creating this tension. Clearly you're creating this, or this, uh, this anger and this bitterness towards him. So the father rebukes, the father rebukes Joseph. Thirdly, the father then sends Joseph away. 
He is sent from his father. Now he says, go and visit your brothers, but he doesn't keep Joseph close. He sends them away. So he's sent from his father. There's a self-evident dream. The father rebukes, and then he's sent from his father. Fourthly, then he goes and he is, meets his brothers. His brother sees that he's alone. The brother sees that they can now capitalize on it. And the first thing they do is they strip him. They take off that robe. They strip him. And then finally, what do they do? They throw him in the pit. They throw him in the pit. I don't want you, but that sure sounds like a lot of serious baggage to me. If you had a vision that your family rebuked, if you have a, 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 a calling or, or something that you feel uh, very passionate about, and not only does your father rebuke you, but then you kind of get sent away from that. And then your family, your brothers, your sisters, your siblings, then strip you, throw you in a pit, and eventually you're sold into slavery somewhere else. I, I think you'd have daddy issues at that point. I think you would have issues with your family at that point. That's, that's some serious dirty laundry, if you ask me. But now in the section we read in chapter 41, I want you to notice the progression. Notice what's happening, because I think the scriptures are doing something very intentional here. If we start off first, instead of being thrown in a pit, Pharaoh brings him out of a pit. 41 verse 14, right? The first point of verse 14. He is brought out of the pit. And I talked about before that language. I think that scriptures are doing something intentionally here. He was thrown into a pit. He eventually wound up in a pit. And now he's being brought out of the pit. Secondly, he's clothed. Interesting. That seems like a really random detail, don't you think? Unless something bigger is happening here. He's clothed. The scriptures then says Pharaoh, Pharaoh brings him forward. He brings his, he's brought before Pharaoh. In one story, he's sent away and now he's brought forward. He's brought out of the pit. He's clothed and he's sent for. And then Pharaoh inquires. He actually wants to know about the dream. He's interested in the dream. Jacob rebukes Joseph. Pharaoh inquires. He says, I'm, I'm interested in this. I can't, I can't seem to figure it out. I've heard of you, so tell me. Because what Pharaoh has then finally is a mysterious dream. If one dream is so self-evident that it doesn't need an interpretation, that his brothers and his father know exactly what the dream means, now Pharaoh says, this is a mystery to me. I've asked all of my magicians, I've asked all of my wise men, and no one can tell me what this is. Will you help me, Joseph? Will you help me? And what we're supposed to see is this weird deja vu of events. What we're supposed to see is God beginning to redeem Joseph's dirty laundry. I can imagine if you're Joseph 
and like you get brought out and then you're getting put clothed on and getting called and say, I have these dreams and I don't know anything about what we have I wonder if, if Joseph has this big deja vu moment. He's like, wait, wait a minute, I've, I've heard this before. I've seen this before. This is eerily familiar to me. And in fact, Joseph said to, uh, Pharaoh says to Joseph, the words literally are, I have dreamed a dream, or I've dreamt a dream. And a few uh, chapters later, or a few chapters before in 37, it actually is the reverse. I dreamt a dream, or a dream that I have dreamt. And so even the language is mirroring itself. And I wonder if you're Joseph and you're going, I, I don't know, this seems really familiar. It's like, it's like the, the scripture is purposely messing with us here, blurring the lines between the two stories. Joseph is seeing this deja vu of events to remind him in backwards fashion the horrible experiences 13 years ago. So whatever happened 13 years ago on some level is getting undone now. Everything was falling apart and now everything is being redeemed. God can use your dirty laundry. He can take your hurts and your secrets and your embarrassment and your insecurities and your wounds and your trauma and use them and redeem them. He can take your past and he can say, you know what, you experienced this now, but I am now going to use that to heal somebody, to bring food for a nation later. Your past does not need to define you, but I can use your past and redeem it. Your past can never go away. Forgive and forget, they say. We know that's impossible. We know that's untrue, but God can redeem it. God can restore it. God can renew it. God can resurrect it into something beautiful. God often has you in the pit before the palace. But then God also can use your hurt to be others' healing. And that's not to say that we should be insensitive to those in the midst of trial. To tell someone in the middle of their storm that God will work all things for their good does not recognize and honor their pain, and it short-circuits the journey of climbing the ladder to healing. So we aren't insensitive to people who are in the midst of this. We don't short-circuit their healing process. We don't short-circuit or be insensitive or to try to ignore the pain that they're going through. But we can have hope that no matter what sin does to us, no matter what painful experiences we have, no matter what's in your laundry basket, God can use it for good. God can use it for good. God wants to use your ladders and your laundry. And we can look to Joseph to remind us, but Joseph only points us further down the road to Jesus. Because Jesus himself spent 30 years as a tradesman before he ever had a follower. We don't know much about those years, but we do know out of Luke that he grew in wisdom and stature in favor with God and man. He grew because although he was God, he was human. And so he grew and developed and matured. 
I always wondered, like, did two-year-old Jesus, like, know everything? I look at my three-year-old, I'm like, if you were Jesus, man, (laughs) he's definitely not Jesus. No, he grew and developed and climbed the ladder. So we looked at Jesus knowing that as we go through the things that will mature us and make us wise and give us the experience, we know that Jesus did it too. But we also know that Jesus had dirty laundry too. And it wasn't his fault, by no fault of his own, but we know that he was despised and rejected by man, a man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hid, hide their faces, he was despised, and we held him in low esteem. But the resurrection declares that pain, suffering, and death doesn't win. It doesn't have to define you. And it doesn't have to be the thing that anchors you for the rest of your life. The resurrection proved that God can take dead things, things that have no hope, things that seem like they are goners, and breathe life back into them. That's the hope of the resurrection. It is not just to show us God's power, although he's powerful. It's to show us that God can bring things back to life. That your laundry can be redeemed and restored and renewed. He's he's redeeming everything. And we're invited into it. I'll invite the band to come as we close. What ladders are you on? If you're feeling lost or stuck or invisible or insignificant, if you find yourself in a pit... God may be having you climb a ladder to mold you into the type of person ready for something later. If you're young and you're right out of college and you're thinking, I'm just, I'm not making a difference. Perhaps you're on the ladder. Developing, growing, maturing into the type of person that God is going to use for something later. Maybe, maybe you're middle-aged and you're, you're, you're sitting there going, what, what, I've got so many more years left. I don't know what God has for me now. Maybe you're on a ladder towards something that God has for you coming up. You see, we lose the sense of the duration of Joseph's story when we read it chapter to chapter. But I've said it before, this is 13 years in the making. It's 13 years for him to go from pit to palace. And in our celebrity social media world, we are conditioned to strive for significance and platforms and followings. And you might feel like you're only with the cupbearers and the bakers. But God might be preparing you for your Pharaoh. And that Pharaoh might not look grand to the world, but it'll be exactly what God has for you. Because God often has you in a pit before a palace. And finally, what's your dirty laundry? What are the hurts, the secrets, the embarrassments, the insecurities, the wounds, the trauma, whether they're your fault or not? As you climb towards healing, know that we don't minimize the pain 
but we also have hope that God is redeeming, restoring, renewing, resurrecting all things. Just a couple of uh, things happened just recently in our office or in this last season in our office that have reminded me again of this truth that our hurts can be other people's healings. As you know, Pastor uh, Milo and his family, the Wilsons, eight years ago suffered a tragic loss of their son, Josiah, to a rare heart defect. And they have walked through this. They've told their story uh, several times here at the church. We have a cleaning service that comes in a couple times a week just to keep this place spick and span. And so we've gotten to know, our office has gotten to know the people that have come in and out uh, who have cleaned. We see them several times a week. We've gotten friendly. We've, uh, we've learned their names, started to learn their stories. I remember uh, just this last season, I walked into the office one day and one of the women who was there was in Milo's office. And you could tell it was a, it was a, a, a tense conversation. And when it, she was done, she walked out and I, I kind of went in. I said, Milo, what was, you know, what was that about? And he said, uh, she's pregnant, but the baby has a heart defect. And they don't know if it's going to survive, if he's going to survive. And it was the start of the Wilson's journey with this woman of walking her through the pain, walking her through all the doctors and all the insurance and how does this work. They walked with this woman all the way through until pregnancy. In fact, Aaron drove to Rochester to be with her when he was born. And they only got a few hours with him before he passed away. But I remember Aaron coming back to me and telling me, those experiences give me a taste for Josiah. And that my hurt could be someone else's healing. Just a, actually just a couple weeks ago, um, we, we love church planning here. You know Milo and I, we love church planning here. It's one of the things that we really want to see at this church. And I walked in the office and Milo was talking to a church planner and he was on speakerphone. I'd walked in so he didn't know. So I was eavesdropping, maybe, maybe is the right word. I, I overheard a lot of the conversation. And it was this church planter who was going through a real tough time. He'd been doing it for years and he felt like this was it. That I think my, our church is going to close. And I've told my own story about living in Rochester six years ago and planning a church and the, the, the pain of, of bringing it up and seeing it come to life and then only to see it eventually um, close. And I heard the words of this guy talking about what he was feeling. And I'll tell you, if, if, if Joseph had deja vu walking before Pharaoh, it was like he was, it was like he was mirroring the very words I used to say a few years ago when I was in the midst of the exact same problem, the exact same experience. And when the conversation over, I walked in and I said, who is that guy? I want to talk to him. And I've been able to have a conversation now with this person who's going through what I went through. And I, I tell you, again, you talk about that deja vu, that I've done this before. I've heard these, ex I've said these exact words that you are saying. 
it helps me and reminds me that my hurt can be somebody else's healing. What's your dirty laundry? And again, if you're going through it and you're in the midst of it and it's so raw and so, don't think this way yet. God was going to walk you through this ladder of healing. Get well. But when you are well, when you are ready, God can redeem this. And God can restore this. And God can bring resurrection life back, just as he did Joseph and just as he did Jesus, whose dirty laundry redeemed the whole world to himself. So may you embrace the pit before the palace. And may your hurt be others' healing. And may you believe that God wants to use your ladders and laundry to redeem the world. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much that you don't leave us in the mess of our own sin. You don't leave us in the mess of our own world. That you sent your son who climbed ladders and experienced all the laundry in the world so that we could be made whole and be, we could be redeemed and restored and renewed and saved from our laundry. And we thank you that you don't even stop there, but you keep going to say, now I can use that to move the story forward, that you actually get to be a part of this redeeming work in the world. And so we see it in Joseph. We see it in you, Jesus. God, will you see it in me and my life? Will you see it in us and our life? God, use our ladders and our laundry to redeem the world. In your name I pray, amen. amen. This time we'll invite you to stay seated if the ushers would like to come forward for the offering. May this be a time of worship as we give our offerings, as, a say, as we say thank you for what God has done for us.